1: Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast In the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Joining me on the podcast this week, Katie Perrier, who used to work for Theresa May in number 10, on whether or not we should ban political polls. Grant Tucker asks if all politicians should follow Weatherspoons and quit social media. But first, Times political editor Francis Elliott on Theresa May's past coming back to haunt her.
2: Theresa May entered the record books as the longest serving Home Secretary, a role usually seen as where political careers go to die. But after the rise in knife crime and the row over the Windrush generation, her six years in charge of Law and Order are starting to come back to haunt her.
1: So fine, immediately obvious Windrush. Just explain to somebody who maybe hasn't followed it from the beginning, how what looks like an absolutely massive row has emerged in about 24 hours.
2: Right, so this is a row that begins in 2012 when they start changing the rules on entitlement uh, and the immigration status of um, a whole lot of people uh, and bubbles up very slowly as the system is introduced uh, uh, and nobody quite sees that... Uh, the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting is going to be a moment when the issue of people originally from the Caribbean who've lived here sometimes five or six decades might come to a head. I say nobody quite saw it. That's not totally true. I think there were one or two brave souls in, in number 10 possibly did begin to see, you know, it was raised in PMQs by Jeremy Corbett on the 14th of March, uh, I think the Guardian, uh, to credit to them, have been writing about this since November. And Number 10 said to the Home Office, chaps, this is this is going to be all right, isn't it? It's going to be okay. There's nothing to worry about here. And then, bang, it's not all right. Uh, you've got a f- full scale. It's clearly the policy is being implemented properly or misimplemented. You know, we can come back to that. And you've got the actual kind of kicker was that you've got 12 Commonwealth leaders asking to see... Theresa May about it, and she has refused. This is the moment I think heads hit desks in number 10. As they do on a daily basis,
1: they're so really battered desks.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> already supply of political neurofen needed, <laughs> needed over there right now. It, it was one of those how the hell did this happen? You told us this was going to be all right. And if we wind the clock back a bit to
1: 2012 and the political climate then, the argument was that to prevent, to make it harder to be an illegal immigrant in Britain, you would have to start proving your status to be here hmm. to to rent a house, to get a job, to claim benefits, to access to the NHS, hmm. and that was the sort of thing. It was championed by one Theresa May, one Theresa May yeah. as Home Secretary, she and her be- supporters, particularly in the popular press, popular press, <laughs> thought this was a good idea. Absolutely. Nothing has actually changed, as, as, nothing, no. as, as somebody once said. Um, nothing has changed from that. The policy was still that you know you need to be able to prove that you lived here. This seemed this, to be a bit of a problem with somebody recognising that this isn't just the stereotypical bloke hanging off the back of a lorry from Calais. This, this was people who, because they've been here for such a long time, just couldn't physically prove that they were here legally.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think this story illustrates a number of things, uh, not least the the kind of pitiless bureaucratic nature of of the, the of this particular prime minister and and her administration that she um you know once she is apprised of why it's a problem she she can get across it and 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 knows but she doesn't seem to be brilliant at spotting these things in advance unless she's told that there's a problem uh, and I think you know, you're, you're you're quite right I see this as an instance common when administrations age because you get hit with the consequences of policies that were introduced in different eras i mean this you know it felt much different in 2012 that race and immigration was a much bigger issue and it has for complex reasons dropped down the salience table ever since the brexit referendum well that's a different debate but nevertheless you know it is relevant in this scenario because you can't argue that this policy is not working the problem is it is working perfectly well uh you know these are hostile environments and uh what probably ought to have happened was hold on uh we are changing the law to inconvenience people who are wholly entitled to be here uh we therefore need to um move to make it easier for them. I mean, we're creating a problem for British citizens uh, and for some reason that was not done. That's always, it is sort of looking through the long wrong
1: end of the telescope. They yeah. so were all focused on the problem people exactly. and not the impact that was going to have on people who weren't problem it, it, people. Exactly, yeah. and, that, and that
2: is a sort of, that is a, that, I think that is a worldview quite typical of the Home Office that we start from the assumption that you're all criminals and you, know, you can tell us that you're not... <laughs> Okay, so let me bring you in here and it, uh, we should also mention that
1: only this time last week the whole debate was around knife crime and Theresa May's uh, record as Home Secretary, her decision to uh, rein in the use of Stop and Search, the fact that she boasted about cutting the number of police officers and crime was still going down in telling the police federation don't cry wolf about police cuts, it's all going marvelously as well and the, the wolf essentially came back to bite her when violent crime starts going up. Just to explain a bit about the sort of mindset of Theresa May, the way that she she once given a task, she's quite sort of committed to it but then it's quite hard to sort of get her off that track again. An immigration target of cutting it to tens of thousands another one.
0: Well, yes, yeah, she's the only one around the cabinet table that didn't want to uh, take out student numbers in terms of counting uh, our immigration statistics, and everybody else thought it was madness. Uh, but once you focused on something, she's very much uh, wants to, to see that through. Um, and what we often find is that sometimes there is a lack of emotional intelligence uh, within the office at number 10 and making sure there's enough staff around that can spot these things early on. and and flagged them up and when I was there we had some of those issues we had the foreign workers um, and staff at the party conference if you remember Citizens of Nowhere Citizens of Nowhere uh, child funerals which took over a year to actually deliver in terms of a very small low level commitment but it signalled the kind of party the Conservative Party wants to be and the kind of uh, issues that we want to show that we care about and even Dub's children which will just roll on and on Um, but it was at a time I felt that that was something possibly we could have moved on earlier so yes um, one of her strengths is that she's absolutely lazy like focused on um, delivering a solution to a problem that's why she's in office Uh, that's why she gets up in the morning because she feels that she can deliver on some of these issues and she's obliged that duty of service that vicar's daughter but the (laughs) the weakness often is that she can't see when she has to move quickly
1: yeah we've talked about this before about how you were there when she you were working for as a press officer when she did the nasty party speech Mm. and there's this slight risk that if you start putting all this stuff together there's a whiff of that again, isn't there? The sort of political tin ear, some we might call it, the failure to recognise how what you're doing is going to be seen by some people.
0: Well, I remember seeing some uh, kind of lorries going past in Westminster once. We kind of go home type posters thinking about, uh, whoa, that cannot have come out of the Home Office in this day and age. And it did. Um, and that was uh, something that flagged up as mm, maybe we don't quite have that right maybe. And that's down to often uh, people that advise you. It's down to making sure that you're on the right side of things. I do also think the British public are slightly schizophrenic on the issue of immigration, too, because people will say that that's why they voted to leave the EU. And then when a burger chain is raided and the door's shut and everybody's asked to approve their papers, everybody's in outrage that they might be employing you know, foreign workers and how dare you treat people like that. You know, you know, only In a way, you can't have it both ways. If you want a crackdown, then a crackdown's going to happen but some people are going to be affected. Mm-hmm. But to not actually see that this coming... Uh, when others were flagging this up well, weeks and weeks ahead, uh, is a real you know, failure I mean, she, of
2: competence. She, she, she clearly thinks that you know she's got a good story to tell on race. I mean she. Uh, well, she does. Uh, she, well, she's stop and search. But, the, you know, stop and search is another example of a policy that has possibly been overtaken by events or has has been allowed to run on tracks not challenged. And, and that was sort of the point I was trying to make about these things of, of you know, I kind of remember it's slightly reminiscent of, of where kind of Gordon Brown, a lot of things that had had happened early in the Blair administration came back to haunt Brown... Yeah. Just because well, Labour had been around a long time, if you're
0: around long enough, these exactly. things will come back. Yeah, everything will, will come back, and,
2: and 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 you know, and it's a sort of cliche, but your strengths are our failures, and your failures are our strengths in politics. And you know, uh, I, I I think also there is a bandwidth issue um, that uh, what isn't going on is that that, that 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 things aren't challenged and kept on top of all the way along. That. So it's not only just a I mean, anybody could have thought my God, are we sure about this? You know, Windrush, really? You know, that's quite an emotive sort. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I can see the Daily Mail are going to be a different place on that. I mean, they, they would have thought of it if they, you know, if there had been sufficient a number of people to sit around. But but actually, you know, because they would have stopped that one, there would have been another one somewhere else. And there will be others. But because what isn't happening isn't that there just isn't the capability to go back through. All settled, they think things are settled and they are beginning to reopen because the world changes. As you
3: go on. Go but on. It was the tale of two Theresa Mays, one who was decisive statesmanlike at the dispatch box, and then the hesitance over the windrush stuff. And it's you mean decisive in in Syria, in Syria, Syria. and look statesmanlike. And then this comes to bite her. It's the hesitation. And it's all these problems. These problems are going to keep coming up. They happen in politics, but it's acting with them quickly. And she's just not doing that. And this weekend, the story could have been potentially killed by just saying, if you were here before 1971, do not worry, this is a clinical error in the Home Office and we will sort it out. We waited till
0: Monday lunchtime for Amber Rudd to come to the dispatch far box. Far too slow. Continually far too slow. You know, you can smell it in the air when a U-turn's coming. It just <laughs> takes too long under this government to actually do and it. Is
1: that her? Is that because she... What was interesting was when she arrived in Downing Street is, always oh, isn't it marvellous how we've got Cabinet Government back and everyone gets to have their say and she takes her time and she reads the papers and she considers things and there's no knee-jerk reactions. And actually, again, your strength becomes... Your weakness that actually now it's just become she gets sort of weighed down in paperwork and can't see the wood for the trees to make a decision
0: yes uh, you've hit the nail on the head. The strength is that, for example, with the decisions she made over Syria, I utterly followed and agreed with because I know that she doesn't do the do knee-jerk reaction. She doesn't care that Trump might want her to do something. She will take her time, she will look for the evidence, she will request more evidence, and then she'll finally come to a decision. She doesn't care whether or not that offends people or it puts their nose out of joint. But it is a weakness in terms of quickly moving when you know that something's wrong, it's going to land very badly, and that we are you know, on the eve of um, elections in London and elsewhere in the country and actually some of these things signal about the kind of party you want to be
3: mm. and that and that was put the compare and contrast she very quickly made a decision yes we will mi- launch missile strikes in syria but mm. she wasn't very quick at reacting and saying if you've been here for 50 years of course this is your home of course it's your country
1: and mm. maybe that's also a legacy of a time of being home secretary where she could focus on one thing yes for a period of time and actually last week they were trying to deal with uh, knife crime and syria And preparations for Cholgham and the normal business of government and Brexit, which has been out of the news a bit, but it's still ongoing. I Um, mean,
2: I think Amber Rudd does bear some responsibility for this as well. She has a problem with her legacy that she inherited on immigration. Uh, Clearly, she disagrees on student numbers. We know that. Um, I think she disagrees on the numbers. She She clearly is in a a slightly different place in terms of the Brexit migration piece. It's not to exculpate her from the responsibility to interrogate all these policies and Pick a row with 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 the prime minister, if, you know, if 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 needs be, maybe she should have come in and said, you know, this hostile environment policy, are we sure it's, or are the we ver- sure it's the right thing? At to the very do. least, the cabinet minister's job last week or a couple of weeks ago was to go into
1: number ten and say, look, this is a massive problem. I'm yeah. not getting any sense out of anyone in number ten, but we yeah. need to, you yeah. need to get. But how difference.
0: do we know that that didn't happen?
1: We may well find out <laughs> in the coming days. <laughs> we may well find out in the coming days. This is a memo to have a Rudd, get in touch. Do <laughs> <get> in touch. <laughs> do you know, do, do you, know you know where I am? Red box. <laughs> At the time, not <laughs> UK. We do emails or contact us on Twitter. Right, but let's move on. I'm sure this will we'll obviously come back to all these issues. You, you get the sentences all sort of building up into something. But uh, let's move on. And uh, this is Katie Perry.
0: A new House of Lords report calls for tougher regulation of the polling industry, which has some merit. We all know how easy it is for people to abuse polling. The trouble is, we can't regulate how people use polling, and that's the real problem. Too much importance is placed on polling. It is only one slice of information, yet people tend to treat it as gospel. Is it the polling companies that need to up their game, or those who commission and report on the results?
1: Bloody media's fault, isn't it, Katie? <laughs> um,
0: Mainstream I mean, th- media.
1: This is a House of Lords committee on polling and digital media, I think. And they came out and said, we don't think we yet need to ban polling during election campaigns, but if the industry doesn't get their act together, then maybe maybe we should. But I think you're probably right. On the face of it, in polls to say it's a science. It's just a science that we're doing. It's the way it's then presented. And maybe sometimes when things aren't, there's not a lot going on in the news, focusing on, oh, so-and-so's up five points seems like a big deal. Whereas actually, with margin and error and all of that, it's possible that nothing's happened.
0: Indeed. And too much influence is put on just a single poll. I love seeing some of the press releases that are pumped out from various different PRs. Uh, around the country which says things like one in five, Uh, you think, yeah, that means four in five didn't agree with you (laughs) you know, but it makes the headline somewhere and we all know how easy it is therefore to manipulate the news in whatever way we want to do that and that is a job often of a PR person however, um, I do worry that uh, we place too much importance on what a thousand people might say in a cheap kind of omnibus type poll and we are, you know, that's swaying people's views one way or another the focus group work, I mean, the polling that I used at number 10 wasn't anywhere near as useful as a qualitative focus group work that we got back about, you know, what do people really think and what are the feedback? And, you know, you can't get that in a, a percentage terms. You get that in individual answers back from people how, and then they're how, much more valuable. How much weight
2: would the PM put on a qualitative research I mean how would you how would it get would it go up to her or I mean what sort of decisions would it inform
0: it was certainly informed the way that people viewed a certain strategy and what they wanted to hear about from the Prime Minister in terms of um, I can just think off the top of my head what a post-Brexit Britain might look like the kind of language that's used around that Mm. Um, it would definitely influence it. But trying to get under the skin of how people voted in the first place in terms of the referendum was a great useful tool, I think, for Theresa May. Mm. I remember saying to her once about, um, you know, having a cup of tea around the fireplace with President Trump. I said, have you seen the polling on Trump? You know, they know that we need a pragmatic relationship with him. They appreciate that it's a special relationship. They don't like him. Mm. And we need to remember that. Mm-hmm. And that polling does make a difference. Mm-hmm. That does matter, but it's the qualitative rather than the quantitative. And mm-hmm. I worry that you know we we are swayed one way or another. I mean, look how powerful polling can be. In the last few days of the AV referendum, when we saw that it might not be as cl- it might not be as clear cut as we thought, the government started to get into action and suddenly started to drive. Uh, same for the Scottish referendum as well. That it is powerful, and maybe we should place a little bit more importance about how it's been used and uh, making sure it's not abused. Go on,
1: what do you make of this? Because it it, it is interesting, it's all we have to sort of get a sense of what the country at large might think rather than the contents of a focus group.
3: Oh, well, yeah, I think focus groups are are much more important than uh, basic polls. I I wonder what the responsibility of the media generally is. We've got to ask ourselves as, as journalists... How do we report on these and how much sway do we give them? I don't know, Francis, because you mm. did the general election reporting, you've done many general elections. How do you go about reporting on these polls? Well,
2: certainly, it will take you on back the Brexit referendum. Uh, my big problem with that was that every time we would send reporters out to the ground, they would come back and say, Pretty oh, leave. And we'd commission another poll and say, No, it's going to be. because <laughs> Remain, Remain are five points ahead. And so all the work that we would and one of my problems with polling is that it actually undermines good old-fashioned shoe leather reporting Mm. and in the post-mortem of the brexit referendum vote we as a paper definitely thought that we had put too much emphasis on on standard vi polls and not enough on what our own reporters were telling us the the one caveat i would say that is that the this paper was brave enough to, to splash on what looked like an absolute
1: outlier. This was the YouGov poll, which was the, based June on the right. their seat-by-seat seat analysis. Exactly. So, and know. actually, if you go back and look at it, I'd say it's probably a model of how to report a poll, because it also included mm. comments caveats. from other pollsters yeah. saying, well, this isn't what we're seeing. So rather than presenting, yeah. Yeah. Theresa May's going to get the majority of 200 seats or whatever, it was a mm. case of saying, this is what a poll is saying, this yeah. is what other people are saying about it. A lot of people do any other
2: reporting absolutely. absolutely I mean I think yeah, I, I think there's no problem with reporting polls and enduring campaigns as long as you you treat them as just one part of the picture that you're you are open about the methodology behind them that you are um, appropriately uh, give them appropriate weighting in terms of how much you believe uh, that the findings and you don't flam them up and- Katie, political parties are obviously
1: also doing polling all the time as well. And they were getting the same, you know, with this last general election. Uh, they were, they're, ge- they're getting the same information. They're using the same polling companies. Um, and they've got people out knocking on doors. And, you know, when you've got the Labour Party also telling you, oh, it's looking really bad out there. You know, th- all that sort of feeds into the mix as well. And, political- of
0: course, you had political activists, conservative activists, that were on the doorstep. They were getting a terrible message after the kind of dementia tax. Part part of the manifesto that they weren't getting at Tory HQ, and certainly if they were getting at Tory HQ, they weren't passing that on to Theresa May. So she, you know, it was only quite late in the day that she discovered that some of the feedback they were getting on the doorstep uh, in the previous ten days they couldn't do anything about it. But yes, I've worked on uh, worked on Boris Johnson's campaign in London, and we very much were driven by the polling and the fact that we were you know ten points behind Ken Livingston and it was about how to make up those ten points and in what part of London we would. Make up the ten points, and the kind of language we use and the message we got across was absolutely based on focus groups and uh, and polling, um, and yet, in, you know, in other in other ways. Uh, you know on election night itself um in 2017 election i was being texted by people senior people within conservative party at 10 o'clock saying the exit poll's wrong and i'm thinking well i don't know much but i don't think exit polls are that wrong often you know they don't have a track record of being wrong because their sample size is so big compared to the you know the sample size And crucially
1: it is based on what people have actually done exactly. rather than what they what say they, they might they- do in a Five, four five years' time in the market. I mean, my mother had,
0: loves the fact that she gets driven to the polling station by someone from the Lib Dems, goes in and votes Tory. She just thinks that's <laughs> the funniest thing ever. You know, that kind Surely of... you'd
1: be taken on a bicycle by a <laughs> Lib Dem. You... Yeah, I think if you if we had no polls at all for... I mean, I think in Luxembourg, it's a month you can't have pop opinion poll in the run-up to a general election. We, we, what, what, would would we we what would we do? Where would
0: our headlines what come we... from?
1: <laughs> and then, then at least then the result would be a proper...
0: Yeah, I think Surprise. But what's really important, though, is that polling often is within the Westminster bubble and when you do the focus group work, you go outside the Westminster bubble and I think more special advisors and more people should go and sit in a focus group in Margate, another one in Hull, and actually find out what people really want. Or just go and to the pub. Nothing beats the go, focus go group. Go to or the, or the pub. pub. Go to the pub. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. So
1: a vo- voice of experience. Is that what you're doing, running focus groups? In pub, One yes. man <laughs> focus group. I think it's expense kind. claims. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Informal well, focus group. On the, so we'll come to your, uh, we'll come to your um, uh, interest in Pubs in a moment, Grab. We'll be back after this short break.
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
3: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Welcome back. This is the Red Box Politics Podcast on The Times. I'm Matt Shorley, joined by Casey Perrier,
3: Francis Elliott, and this is Grant Tucker. The big news this week. Weatherspoons have quit social media for all of its 900 pubs. The chain's boss, Tim Martin, says that it won't affect their business. So is there a lesson for other brands and politicians? Switch off their Twitter and Facebook feeds and get on with their day jobs.
1: I have to confess, when I heard this news, I wasn't aware that every single Weatherspoon's pub had its own Twitter and Facebook page.
3: So the Fox on the Hill in Denmark Hill, my Weatherspoon's—that that is the one that that had a Twitter feed, I think, had about 54 followers. Um, Were you one of them? I was one of them, yes. I, I was devastated when I heard that they and were And what, what
1: were you getting from this uh, source of information? Well, it's
3: 3 Well, last Wednesday I went because it was Wing Wednesday. I had an offer on chicken wins, so I went there for, for, for that on the Wednesday. Um, but no, I I think this makes sense for Tim Martin to do this. I think, don't understand why individual pubs need their own account. But on the political side of things, I think actually Twitter's a terrible platform for... Politicians. I don't think most ordinary people use Twitter. I don't speak to people who use Twitter apart from journalists. Facebook, on the other hand, I think is very good. Instagram, and you see the likes of Gavin Williamson staring at a horse, I think it was last week, and <laughs> Liz Truss petting hedgehogs. Uh, that kind of stuff, I think, is more fun and more accessible for the public. But Twitter, I think, is quite useless, actually.
1: But does it make any difference? Because not Everybody has to be on social media. I mean, my dentist surgery has got like an instagram and a <laughs> what <laughs> would you follow <laughs> no, no, no. us on So <laughs> they
3: post that's pictures it. of your team oh i don't know i've not i've because i'm not following it <laughs> and how much money is wasted on this the idea that your dental surgery needs an instagram feed is ridiculous. just because that's everybody's heard that that's what digital and usually it's got jobs these S, not seo people social media social people, media yeah. people yeah spend their days everybody's tweeting. got too many of them yes <laughs>
1: Katie, from a political party perspective, they couldn't, they couldn't do a weather spoon and shut down all social media.
0: They'd but love they've... to. This is a genie they can't get back in the bottle. They realise that they're addicted to it, it's a thief of time and it's not a focus group and so when they get really down in the dumps they get very, very upset about the abuse they're getting on social media. Twitter in particular I think is quite a toxic platform. They don't understand or they don't, you know, it's for people like me to say, hold on a minute, have you seen how many people that is compared to how many people watched you on the one show or on the BBC or how many people read about you in Times or whatever it might be. You know, it's a very, very small percentage of people that engage themselves all day long. I mean, I am quite vocal on this. I don't tweet myself and it's unheard of for a former director to do that. You know, everybody's on on Twitter. And it's not that I don't use it for news and I do and I, you know, follow everybody else. I'm one of those terrible people that wants everybody else to do it but not you're myself. A, you're a lurker. Yes, I'm a lurker. I've got a busy day as it is, and I think I would take up far too much of my day talking to people that are in their pants, in their mum's <laughs> spare bedroom, <laughs> and I can't even got a proper job. And so I think to myself, do you know what? I'm not engaging. I'm not doing it.
2: I should be interested to see the Twitter reaction to that. <laughs> <laughs> do get in touch. at the time, You'll have to tweet us at
0: times. I won't read it. Endrops. I don't care.
1: I don't know. <laughs> Ignorance
2: do, is bliss. I'll print them all off and post them to you. Thank you. <laughs> what you. What do you think about this, Francis? Well, I think thief of time is a really good phrase. I mean, you know, a, a t- Twitter is a uh, it's a kind of occupational hazard now. I can't, you can't avoid it. D- is it a sensible? Do I devote too much time to it? Probably. Have I allowed it to influence my view of events um, disproportionately? Yes. Uh, I, you know, I, I do think it's important that we kind of take some, as journalists, some sort of corrective action, not to be dictated to by the Twitter sphere. I mean, it is pretty horrible when you're on the, the on the receiving end of a, of a kind of Twitter mob. Get that too. There, there is an issue there I, you know where did this news break of Tim Martin I mean mostly on Twitter right
1: I mean, by, yeah, on they announced Skype. it on, on, on Twitter but so they did
0: a Skype interview that's afterwards that's insane it's absolutely but
1: they, they, they insane. announced it on their Twitter account yes. that they were shutting it down which is that's like a whole world I mean, I mean, yeah, he, he's quite he's quite he's quite, savvy he's quite savvy he's that the account, customers are not on
0: Twitter do. And so, you know, I don't think that by tweeting that fish and chips and three ninety nine on Thursdays or whatever it is, oh, you know, it's is. suddenly going to go <laughs> through the roof. <route>. Yeah, <laughs> keeping his pub <laughs> in
3: Denmark yellow for single handed. But I wonder if this uh, sets a precedent now and, uh, and other businesses will follow. He said that he's going to carry on using traditional platforms like newspapers, TV, and radio for advertising. Good on will you, other team. brands follow that? Well will done. other brands shut their Twitter down, shut their Facebook, and start buying ads in the Times? I don't know.
0: But, you know, if you're a train company, you need your Twitter fee because you need to tell them that, yeah, again the train before four four, four forty five to Ashford is is late or you know, it's got not got a driver or something ridiculous. What do you think
2: about people who kinda of tweet and then copy in the hey at Virgin trains, I'm sitting here at Reading and your thing still hasn't turned up Think I think
0: I don't give a toss about your train problem. But the, but
2: the, but the companies now have agree, people working around the clock replying yes, to them. But of people course they have do. worked out that this is a kind of leverage point that you can use on.
0: Totally. If you've Because what, what's happening is the PR team are looking at how many followers they've got and their followers of influence. So it's not numbers anymore, it's followers of influence. Oh my God, followers they're mates of- with people at the BBC. We have to sort this out. And you know, you are definitely jumping the queues in, in terms I of getting that's your problem of, sorted. I think that's
2: slightly problematic when people do that. Southern oh, did a great
0: job. They had a 15-year-old not long ago who yeah. took over their Twitter feed for a week and uh, he said things like, you know, I'm here to answer any questions you might have, be gentle, be kind, I'm only 15 and I'm on work experience. And people had forgotten all about the fact that their train had been cancelled and started tweeting, don kebab or curry tonight, mate, what do you think? <laughs> and it was the most brilliant, I mean, it was I was addicted to it. Yeah. I just sat there for hours looking at this yeah. poor 15-year-old and I thought you know what, if you're a company that just cannot do right from wrong and your Twitter feed is full of absolute nastiness, that is the way forward.
1: Mm. But then the problem is that that's, like, that's Sort of like almost spontaneous thing happens, and then every other corporate monster tries to sort of copy it <laughs> yeah. you know, in like, yeah. a slightly teased way. It's like the ice bucket challenge. You know? We need more authenticity. <laughs> yes. Buy in some authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> Can we create some? Can we get marketing to create Hold some? don't a minute. Authenticity? I sell this
0: stuff for a living. What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> and in terms of political, uh, I mean, there's obviously been this big debate about Facebook and its influence both in the American election and in the EU referendum here. The bit that. Feels to me hasn't really been discussed is the extent that people are influenced by. Is there a sense that people are influenced by what they see on Facebook? I just see a load of noise and people's holiday photos, and if it's an advert, I just ignore it almost entirely.
0: Well, of course, the sponsored stuff. Hasn't got the same weight as people that are recreating stuff, stuff or sharing yeah. stuff that may well have been fake in the first place. Yeah. So we don't know. The truth is, we just don't know how influential that is because we don't know whether or not that's that's you know given anyone a particular edge uh, over someone else. In the 2015 campaign, it was David Cameron and the Conservatives that really pushed forward in their use of digital media, and you know in in the space of kind of eighteen months, two years, it all gone horribly wrong to
3: say uh, i got to say fair play to the, the Tories of the last few months they've started to capture how quickly this fake news can spread so there was the animal sentience stuff which I think everybody in the country had read by about the end of the week and the Tories realise how harmful that was and they're reacting really quick to fake news now. And you and know what, that wouldn't, have been, yeah,
0: that wouldn't have been by permission of the, of the Prime Minister and that's a good thing, that actually as a political party they can get on it quickly and stamp it out and that, you know, maybe that's Gove's influence there, I don't know.
3: And the
1: CCHQ but game, they've really upped it. They
0: there, really thing. have upped it.
1: And so the, the answer, and we're going to even go back to the beginning is just ignore the Prime Minister and get on with it.
0: I don't think that's such a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> At times. Sometimes you just need to you know, get on with the job. The thing is, is that that's a communications job. And so, actually, the Prime Minister needs to be busy making other more important decisions. She's
2: no fan of social media, is No. How
0: no. often does she
1: check her Twitter feed? Never. Never. Is she really because, aware... She that, might have changed now. Of yeah. Is course. she really aware that she's got one?
0: Of course, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and the thing is, is that, um, that when we went back into, when we went to Number Ten, it was about bringing the power back to journalists and making sure that they got the press releases first about stuff that was going on, rather than announcing it on Twitter. But of course, you need to take people with you, and lots of people felt that the news they were getting from Number Ten, uh, they were no longer getting it in the way that they used to. They were used to getting it, and they liked that. And so, I think it was a mistake to uh, pull the rug from the social media kind of platforms. And I'm glad that they've really upped their game.
2: There must be a market for just blocking out, out. Else. any kind of.
0: You, you know, know, in local uh, micro pub. In my area, if you use your mobile phone, you've got to pay a pound.
2: Faraday box where you just cannot. Yeah. Take totally
0: you're But you're, you're from the old school, Francis, where you could be in a what? pub or a restaurant and no one knew, you know, for, you could be in there for the whole lunch time and if they'd get a hold of you, they'd call the pub. Terrible, because terrible moment. I
2: remember mobile when
0: phones bleep change, bleep ruined your life.
2: Arrived and I thought, well, this is convenient, I can leave my desk. No and thanks. That
1: was the beginning of a terribly slippery slope. I think we've sorted all this out. We just need to turn the clock back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I vote for that.
1: I think that was all we've got time for this week. As ever, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on your Android device, or wherever you get your podcast from. Sign up to my morning email at thetimes.co.uk for slash redbox. But for now, from Katie Perry, Francis Elliott, Grant Tucker, and me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to
3: thetimes.co.uk.